1: Hello and welcome to the Road to Istanbul here from the Liverpool Echo on the Blood Red channel. And whilst the Reds may be out of the Champions League for this season, the show goes on here as we chart Liverpool's run to the 2005 Champions League final in Istanbul. I'm Guy Clark, Dan Kay alongside me as always. And this week we've a very special guest indeed. The man who was behind the microphone for ITV at Anfield as Liverpool beat Juventus 2-1 back in 2005. The quarterfinal first leg at Anfield and that is Clive Tilsley. Clive, thanks for joining us. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm as good as can be expected. Um, it's it's nice to reminisce at this time because I think we're all missing our football.
1: Yeah, and Dan, we've we've obviously seen the, the football come to a halting end recently, but um, nice to have Clive with us and able to do this remotely altogether.
2: Very much so. I mean, I'm, I'm of a certain era where Clive's Radio City commentaries were the soundtrack of my childhood so it's uh, so it's a great thrill to have him on board and uh really looking forward to hearing his take on what was uh one of the one of the great Anfield nights.
0: You know that was my dad yeah I'm I'm only 28. I thought
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was it sorry Clive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but clive talking of this this game in particular we got the match to look into the context of it all and, and even sort of what it set on for liverpool i have to say right from the offset this was the game it's something dan and i through the series have spoken about but this was the game for me watching on as as a young school lad that actually made me think liverpool might just win this it's still work to do to get to the final but beating a side like juventus was absolutely monumentous
0: I think when you look back now, with the benefit of hindsight, that there was an element of fate running throughout um, that season, as far as um, the Champions League was concerned. I think Liverpool played far better against Milan in the final of 2007 than they did in 2005, uh, and quite apart from the extraordinary uh, turnaround uh, in in Istanbul, and the fact that actually they were probably the only really good six minutes that Liverpool had in the whole night prior to the penalty shootout. The, the Luis Garcia goal will be contested by Chelsea fans forever and a day. And the, the second half against Olympiacos the previous December um, perhaps gave, uh, you know, an element of is, is this meant to be is our name on the trophy. So um, there was a gathering emotion, the um the the two games against Bayer Leverkusen were reasonably straightforward but you know Juventus came to Anfield with Buffon in goal with Del Piero and Ibrahimovic up front with Nedved who was considered one of the very finest players in the world in the team they had Cannavaro and Turam who would be amongst perhaps the top 5 or 6 rated defenders and Liverpool had injury problems so it's. Um, I've always. I always felt that through that era, Liverpool were were an outstanding underdog, and um, certainly in the first half of the first leg of that quarter final, they were a, a really outstanding underdog.
1: Yeah, certainly, Dan. Obviously, you yourself were in the stands watching on, and Clive's rolled off some of the, the names there, the likes of Del Piero, who'd been about when Juventus had been in finals in sort of the, the late nineties, as it were. Pavel Nedved, who I think if if Juve had actually won the tournament two years prior when they lost to AC Milan on a penalty shootout, probably would have been crowned as the world's best player. He was unbelievable. And obviously Fabio Cannavaro, who would go on to to win the Ballon d'Or. There was a lot of of quality players that the Reds were facing that night, Dan.
2: They had unbelievable quality. Even the likes of David Trezeguet to come off the bench, and Paolo Montero, um, Emerson in midfield who'd uh, played at Anfield only a couple of seasons before for Roma, that famous night when Hula, when Gerard Hooley came back from his heart problem. Um, it very much felt like this was... Liverpool were very much back in the big time, but chickens might possibly come home to roost. As well as we'd done to, to reach the quarter final. we hadn't really played anyone of, of any great notes. Monaco, Deportivo and, and Olympiacos in the group stage. And then, uh, Brian Leverkusen, who of course had, had got to the final themselves three years before, Juventus were the, I mean, I've always been a fan of Italian football anyway, and Juventus were in, you know, were the all-conquering Juve uh, who, Milan had won the odd league here and there, but this, it was very much felt that we've done brilliantly to get this far, and speaking personally, I was just hoping that the Reds would give a good account of themselves, obviously I hoped against a little miracle that we might get through. But more than anything, I was just kind of thinking, let's not get battered over two legs, and um, because with it being Rafa's first season, and with Liverpool at the time still, try, you know, trying to push for fourth place to get qualification for the following year's competition, the you know, in the back of my mind was the fear that if we got absolutely battered, it could possibly have a negative effect psychologically for the last few weeks. So it, there was there was excitement going into the game, but also a certain degree of trepidation as well.
1: Yeah, I can certainly understand that. And and Clive, yourself, not just in terms of being the man calling the action, but in the unique vantage point of working with television broadcasters, you arrived so early at the ground as well. I just wondered, even thinking back to to that, the atmosphere building up, because it was going to end up being one of these special sort of Anfield modern nights. So I just wondered if, if there was anything sort of... Particular, even from the, the build-up of the game right early on in, in the day that it sort of had that making that feel that this was going to be an absolutely almighty evening at Anfield?
0: Well, I, I mean, just from a pure logistical point of view, yeah, ITV came on air 15 minutes before kick-off uh, on those uh, Champions League nights and we had two ad, ad breaks to get away during that time. Um <laughs> I think there was always a feeling when we came to Anfield that we wanted to try to do you'll never walk alone justice um, if, if, if we're totally honest just you know just from a programming point of view it was very difficult to you know to, to, to hit the start of the of, uh, of the rendition of you'll never walk alone on, on any Liverpool night or, or to, to allow the whole song to be sung but that particular night because it had the 20th anniversary of Heisel and the two clubs coming back together and um you know i think a, a a a very strong feeling that um we needed to all of us involved needed to to recognize the the magnitude of 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 this um, this memorial really um you know with jerry there and um I, 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 we knew that that was going to be highly charged and highly emotional, and so consequently, by the time kickoff arrived, you know whatever followed that, um, inevitably the game was going to kick off with with some feeling, and um, the uh, I, I, Liverpool have, have always been very good at, at at you know handling those occasions and paying. Due respects and 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 giving something a sense of ceremony, without it, it feeling uh, in 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 any way kind of tinged with melodrama, um, and um, you know I think that was uh, that, that was beautifully handled before the game. That there, there was obviously some feeling uh, between the two clubs and between the fans of the two clubs. There were some poor incidents in Turin uh, before the second legs. It was a a difficult atmosphere when we got to Italy for the second game, but but that night it it felt right.
1: Yeah, and you were obviously, I suppose, unique. It, It doesn't sort of seem the right word to say and obviously wouldn't be a position you would have wanted to be in, but you are in that position of having been in 1985 working for Radio City, as Dan already mentioned, at Heysel for the the European Cup final meeting between the two sides, and this was obviously the first meeting between the two sides since.
0: Yeah, and I I wouldn't want to even try to to use this this moment this remembering two thousand and five to to offer too much in the way of analysis of, of of what happened, or indeed too many recollections of what I saw in the Heysel Stadium that night. Uh, suffice to say, I. I'd never actually seen a dead body before uh, that night, and I was whatever, nearly thirty years of age. Um, l- let alone seen them piled up one on top of another and been counting them. And um, and so, you know, all of us who were um, in in Brussels that night, particularly involved in the um, in the coverage of the game, because. Um, Liverpool Football Club made a point of of taking the media onto the same terracing the following morning to see the 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 disrepair and the crumbling concrete and I'm afraid that um, that terracing was littered with with you know bits of scarf and you know personal effects still um, which you know probably in itself told the very fact we were on there we shouldn't have been on there it was a crime scene really but you know that that was the that was the state of disorganisation and if you throw in the um, you know, the post part of the lead up to that final, the fact that um, Liverpool fans had been brutally treated in Rome the, uh, at the final the previous season. Um, you know, that it, it's uh, it's it's an occasion that's difficult to recall and difficult to think back on. Um, but at, you know, in the in the final reckoning, um, Too many people who just went to watch a football match didn't go home and it was very, very important that the two clubs uh, recognised that and and remembered those people um, before this quarter final in 2005.
1: I suppose you then get to the stage of this game. You mentioned obviously you'll never walk alone. The cauldron, the atmosphere is beginning to build. And I suppose we're best to, to really focus in on the game itself. And it couldn't really have started any better for, for Liverpool. 10 minutes in, and Sammy Huppier, a man who didn't score all too many goals for Liverpool, came up with probably one of the biggest of his Liverpool career.
0: He said he didn't score too many left footed volleys on the run. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> I mean, both both the goals that um, I think Luis Garcia scored after about twenty five minutes, and they were stunning goals, but they were what Liverpool deserved at that stage in the match. Um, they started the match so well. Um, we, you know, we've mentioned some of the names that were in the Juve team. You know, let's mention some of the names that were in the Liverpool team: Carson, Traore, Bishan, Lutalek. Um, and um, and Sammy hadn't been in the team um, for a while, you know. Pellegrino and Morientes had come in and and had sort of claimed places in the uh, in the league lineup and weren't eligible uh, for the uh, Pellegrino and Morientes had come in and claimed places in the in the league lineup weren't eligible for the um, for the Champions League. So Sammy was was actually, I think it was his first appearance for a month or so, um, and. You know, he he captained the team in the second leg because Stevie was uh, was injured, uh, and and I mean, you know, great is an overused word in football, full stop. And how many great Liverpool players have they been? Have there been? Well, you know, we could certainly all reel ten or a dozen off straight away. Sammy would be pushing that group. You know, he would be he'd be pushing that group of you know, Douglas and Soonis and Hansen and Rush and Gerrard and so on. Sammy wouldn't be far behind that that elite group that we you know the we sort of remember Liverpool in the modern era. so you know the um, the pride of the man, the dependability of the man, the consistency of the man and uh, I don't know what what his role was supposed to be in that corner kick when it was flicked on at the near post but I'm absolutely certain that however much attention to detail rafa gave to every game and he did. Uh, He didn't see Sammy running onto that and sliding in with a beautiful controlled volley with his left foot um, and just steering it into the Anfield road end goal. It was a fabulous goal.
1: Dan, I just wondered on your take on obviously what
0: Clive said there on Sammy Huppier because
1: he was such a dependable player for Liverpool. Obviously he played in the era that had obviously Gerard and Carragher, the two local heroes that everybody does, revere so much. But Sammy Huppia really, I mean, you can't really understate his contribution to Liverpool over the years, especially having sort of plucked him from relative obscurity.
2: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more and I think he, he definitely deserves to go down. Uh, well, great, And also one of Liverpool's greatest ever bargains, really, I about 2.6 million, I think, we paid to, to bring him in from uh, Willem II in 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 Holland in uh, in 1999, and obviously he became a cornerstone <clears throat> of uh, of Gerard Houllie's <clears throat> great treble-winning side, shoring at the back alongside Stefan Onshow. But what's what's interesting about this stage of his career, and I think this is where he deserves an awful lot of credit, is that sadly, you know, Gerard's Liverpool reign never really quite lived up to that early promise, and there's always we'll always be left with that what if feeling if he didn't take ill with the heart problem when he did towards the end of 2001, when it seemed like Liverpool were really very well placed to push on and, and kick on for, for a title bid. Following that treble year, we'll never know. Think, you know, we, Although we, we finished second in 2002, things were already starting to decline. And, and, and After a great start the following season, um, when I think we were top in early November and then lost at Middlesbrough and things kind of started to unravel from there and we missed out on the Champions League on the last day at Chelsea... The writing really was kind of on the wall. And earlier, earlier in the next season, he lost the captaincy to Stephen Gerrard. And Stephen's take on this is always very interesting. And I saw an interview with him talking about it not too long ago when he was making the point that um, Gerrard obviously you know, decided he wanted to give him the job. But everyone in the squad, including Stevie, had such great respect for Sammy. And Stephen, I think, was a little bit apprehensive about him. And I think he, he got a message from Sammy saying, can I have a word the next day? and after, after this was announced. And from what from what uh, Stevie said, he was a little bit apprehensive uh, as to which way this would this would play out. But in actual fact, Tommy sat down with him and said, listen, I think this is the right decision. I think you're the right man for the job. I think it's going to help me in my game. And he actually did go on to get his best form back. Obviously played a key role in helping Liverpool win the uh, Champions League in 2005 and, <clears throat> and played a big role for the next three or four years and was still... I think it was 2009 when he finally left the club and played in another final for us in 2007 and played a big part in you know, what could have been a, a title win in, in 2009 if things had gone differently the other thing I'd like to mention as well, he loved a big goal, this was the second of three goals in a, a Champions League quarter final for him because he scored against Leverkusen in 2 and also against Arsenal three years later, so even if he didn't get too many goals, he certainly had a nose for the big occasion and as Clive said, it, it really was, an, a, a, you know, I think any striker worth the salt would be proud of a, a cushion control left foot volley like that so early in a game. And, you know, in games of this magnitude, the first goal can be so key for setting the tone and setting the atmosphere. And, and it, the atmosphere was unique, really, you know, very, very emotionally charged. Also as well, full of <clears throat> excitement because this was a, a European Cup final, the kind of game that comes on. But I always think if you score early in a game like that, it's just like igniting a fuse. It's just like putting a match under it all. It up a, takes it up a notch. And that's exactly what happened when, when Sammy rattled that one in at the Anfield Road end in the first 10 minutes.
0: And he was back on the bench the following weekend. Pellegrino came back into the team. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not, like, it's not like Rafa
1: to, uh, to lose sort of a, a sense of sentiment.
2: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: We spoke right at the top of the quality that Juventus had in their side and after scoring after 10 minutes you sometimes get the feeling of oh that's only going to poke the bear it's only going to agitate who would conceivably be looked at as the strongest side going into this game Juventus just looking into to the facts and figures had only conceded two goals in the previous eight games they played in the the regular sort of Champions League format so for Liverpool to get an early goal was massive to then get a second after just 25 minutes I mean really did put them into the uh, the box seat
0: absolutely and it was um it it was another goal which raised the ante because it was so spectacular and um yeah Luis garcia i don't know how liverpool fans will remember him we remember him i guess in flashes and and that was you know one of the most dramatic flashes that is what he was capable of um we didn't see it every weekend that's that's for sure um but it it it, it, the left foot was a, was something of a wand and the ball just fell so kindly for him sat up crying out to be hit and um it was uh, it was a brilliant d- dipping volley and as i say it just if if the if the roof was being raised by the nature of the liverpool performance so liverpool were very very strong for the first half hour i mean the um the uv response Probably just underlines what a good team Liverpool did beat, um, but they were worth a two goal lead at, at that stage of the game. And um, I remember looking down at the monitors you do after uh, after a goal and you start to prepare for the replays and Rafa was doing his usual. I've never quite got that, you know, as if nothing's happened. I mean, I quite like, I I mean, Liverpool have now got a manager who shows emotion when a throw-in's won. Um, But but all this this sort of stony-faced, you know, almost getting everybody ready for the restart. I mean, for goodness sake, Rafa, what a goal. You're 2-0 up against Juve. And the only person in the entire stadium who's trying to show no emotion is the Liverpool manager.
1: I just wonder from a personal point of view as well, Clive, if it's it's one of those goals, one of those games as well, going into a 2-0 lead like this that Liverpool did. Obviously, they were battling, I think they were they were fifth at the time in the, in the Premier League, obviously yeah. they, they wouldn't finish in the top four. If it was one of those games, one of those moments where you yourself being the man calling the action, a, a sort of sat there just wondering, crikey, this isn't anything like I perhaps expected things to, to play out tonight.
0: No, but I think uh, I, Andy Townsend was alongside me that night and is and he, a great friend to this day. And um, I would I would never try to rank my co-commentators. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't want Jim Beglin walking out of my house, you know. Uh, but Andy Andy did often say that Liverpool are a great underdog. And I think that's probably where that feeling that I, I started this with um, came from. I think it was probably a thought that Andy had. Um, and as I said, they played like an underdog in a way that night. I mean by half-time, they'd, they'd had a, a a couple of big, big sort of alarm calls. Um, Ibrahimović hit a post from nowhere. And and actually, Del Piero had a goal disallowed, which should have stood. I mean, there was no big fuss about it at the time. I don't think he could r- really quite work out what had happened. Um, but actually, it should have stood. So even though Liverpool went in two up and had been the best team in the first half, we kind of knew during, during the half-time interval... That this was far from over. I suppose what leads to that as well, Dan, it's the man who was in goal
1: for Liverpool that day, Scott Carson, recently at the time, having signed from Leeds United, I think still in his teenage years, just his third game. And what a game this was for him to, to come into. I think he, he stopped a <clears> one-on-one with Del Piero in that first half, but obviously was heavily involved in the, the goal that Juventus got back. But it was one of those games, I'm sure, that certainly being... In that goal in front of the cop in that first half would have given him a huge boost?
2: Well, absolutely. It was a real baptism of fire for him. Um, You know, Liverpool's goalkeeping situation really had been in a state of flux for a few years, really, after um, the first keeper who they brought in was Sander Vesterveld. Then obviously he brought in Dudek and Curtin on the same day. Jersey had a great first season for Liverpool, but then there was the, the, the Diego Forlan game against United and Things didn't seem quite as as solid as they were before, so it, it, there was a little bit of uh, uncertainty and and not really much continuity be- be- between the sticks. As Clive mentioned, Pellegrini had come in. Manuel Pellegrini had come in. As, uh, no, sorry, Mauricio Pellegrini was. Well, well, no, it was Manuel. Mauricio was the Tottenham manager. No, I get those Pellegrino, just, no, Pele- yeah, yeah, yeah. Mauricio Pellegrino, wasn't it? Yeah. And 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 similarly to Morientes, because they were cup tied, there was constant chopping and changing across the back five really which is never easy in terms of building up that continuity and familiarity with each other, particularly obviously when it's a new manager's first season. So it was it was, it was a big aspect for Scott in what was only his third game to come in and play in a game of that magnitude. The save from Del Piero was huge. I seem to remember that it was, it was I think it was pr- within a couple of minutes of that second goal and even if obviously we know that Juventus did get a goal back in the second half, you know, what, what looked at the final like being a crucial away goal, and which, one which Scott Carson probably would feel that he probably should have kept out. ROs far post had a kind of sneaking past him, really. The fact that it came maybe half an hour later than it could have done, I do think had an important overall impact on the tie. You do wonder if you've entered and reduced the deficit to, to 2-1 on 30-35 minutes, it would potentially have changed the whole complexion of the game. So it, so it was a massive save back. The other thing I'd, I'd want to mention from the first half as well, and I think this is something where it was it was a real left field decision by by the manager to put Anthony Lattalek in. It was who had been he he and his fellow young French, Kids, Laurence Laurent Sillamapongol had come in uh, at the start of the previous season. Um, it's a great fanfare from La Havre, which a French club Liverpool had had a tie in to, to bring you know some talented young players through, and there was great hopes for them. And um, in the end, really, it was Pongol. Pong certainly that season 0405 had more of an impact than Letallic. certainly played far more games scored against Olympia Arcos had a big impact in the League Cup win at Tottenham in December I can remember hearing the team in the pub before the match and thinking really? What, what, why? What, what's Anthony had done, done to kind of justify such a, a show of faith from the manager but he had a, he had a superb performance and it was him that played the intelligent little ball inside from the right flank into Garcia's path that, that led to that second goal, which which for me, as we might have touched upon in one of the previous podcasts, that really, for me, that moment when the ball arced over Buffon, um, I remember Clyde mentioning that his co-commentator Andy Townsend there. I remember on the, commenta- on, on the commentary him saying £32 million worth of goalkeeper can't do a thing about it. It was it was an astonishing moment. and th- That, for me, was the moment when I first started to think are we actually going to go on and win this thing? Even when we went 1-0 up, I kind of thought, well, we've had a good start, an early goal, but come on, this is Juventus. There's so such a long way to go. When the second goal went in, I just suddenly started to feel something's happening here. I don't know what it is. And obviously, it's in the last 15 years, we've seen a few Anfield nights that have almost bordered on the supernatural. But that was the moment that the, the, the Garcia goal that I think just made a lot of people, certainly me, sit up and take notice and think, Something is going on, and it could be really, really great.
0: Uh, th- I think it also kind of ushered Sammy and Cara to to do their, you know, to take over from there. Two 0 up, um, you know, mm. he, he, we are going a quarter quarter of the way into the tie, and um, it's clear that they were going to be together again in uh, in Turin the following uh, the following week. So, um, you know, th- those were the two guys who more than anybody won won that quarter final. For Liverpool, um, you know, to, to reduce the UVA to a goal, which I think, listen, Scott was nineteen at the time, and as you say, it was Liverpool's third choice goalkeeper. Um, but it was a poor mistake. Uh, let's face it, it was a it was a header that should never have found a way into the goal, and that can be deflating to defend against such good players, and then concede a really really soft goal. But Sammy Hufier and Jamie Carragher are not the kind of guys who get deflated very easily. They looked after Scott that night. You know, they did their best not only to keep the ball away from him, but to encourage him in the wake of the mistake that he knew he'd made. And they were both superb in the uh, in the second leg too. Particularly with Stevie, was missed the second leg. Chabi Alonso came back for the second leg, and that was a a big plus for Liverpool. And Jersey Dudek played in the second leg, which was a big plus for Liverpool. But Certainly, my recollection of the two games is that the the outstanding players on the field in both matches were Sammy Huppier and Jamie Carragher.
1: I certainly remember the, the second leg, which we'll get onto sort of as, as the series goes series goes on. But as you said, Jamie Carragher really that's the game that sort of came to the fore for me of really one of his breakout moments as a as a real sort of centre half warrior and, and leader of the side. But that Luis Garcia goal. Just wondered your take on it, Clive. Obviously. The, the run to Istanbul, everybody immediately thinks of the Gerard goal against Olympiacos, but from a technical point of view, the Garcia goal's got to sort of surely be up there as one of the strikes of the run for Liverpool, because that was some unbelievable volley, and certainly to, to beat a keeper like on. Um
0: I, I don't disagree up to a point, but Stevie did that a lot. Luis Garcia didn't do that a lot. <laughs> 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 no, no, you're not right I mean, there. Uh you know Stevie did it in the last bit of an FA Cup final too and, and 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 um but again now we are talking about a Liverpool great I I mean as I say it, the it, you, you were talking about uh, Latelic playing it was Latelic or Nunes you know that's where that's where the team selection was up to Chabi wasn't mm. going Chabi Alonso wasn't going to be fit to start which he wasn't um then it was basically Nunes or Latelic or something like that um, so it, it, it's an extraordinary Liverpool success, really, over the course of the two games. You've you highlighted Juve's um, defensive record in, in all competitions in the in the lead-up uh, to the match. And you, the fact that Trezor Gay was on the bench, um, you, you know, the depth of, of talent that they had at their disposal. And, um, I mean, Nunes started the second game I, you know, the, you you wouldn't remember too many other contributions that he made to, to Liverpool, and and then they say we carry it forward to the final, and you know who played in the final and what happened in the final. It was uh, it was just an ex, most extraordinary ride, really, all the way through from from the qualifying round to being three down at half time in the final, you know, to bring the European Cup home to Liverpool. Um, this was part of the story, and luis garcia 's goal was certainly uh, part of the story but um, I, uh, I i know I know who who which players I think won the european Cup for, the, for Liverpool that year, and Opio uh, Carragher and particularly Gerard would be at the forefront of my mind
1: and I just wonder when you were leaving anfield that night, cannavaro 's got the goal as Dan said could have been a crucial away goal, obviously what Six years previously, you sort of, it's in Manchester United win the European Cup in the new Camp in 99. They, of course, overcame Juventus themselves in the semi-final stage. Whether you thought this Liverpool side had the making of them to go to Juve and, and actually see this job out?
0: It's a brave man who mentions the 99 Champions League <laughs> final in the <a> black <laughs>
1: podcast.
0: <laughs> By this, maybe you're, you're going to have to find a new presenter for next week, I think. <laughs> but... uh it, it's a decent result for you ve um, I don't know why but it, it just seems to me that the away goals become more and more significant in two-legged Champions League games um, I, I it, it, there's no good reason for it because it's no more valuable now than than it was in 2005 or in you know 1977 um, but it, I think generally speaking, in a, in a well matched quarter final like this, um, it's certainly in the modern day, and I think probably then, I think Juventus will probably have left Anfield feeling as if they got the, the better of the result. Um, you know, they, they only had to beat um, a defeated Liverpool 1 0 um, back at Stadio della Alpe the following week, and they, they were through. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a special night um because everybody remembers the emotion before the game and the wonder of the two goals were marvelous and the first half hour's performance was sensational but actually the um you know the hard work the hard graft the hard yards of this quarter final were were still to come in northern italy and that that's essentially where liverpool won their place against chelsea in the semis
1: Thanks for that, Clive. And also mentioning, talking about uh, mentioning that the arch rivals there only because you've you <laughs> sort of been the standard bearers for sort of European Champions League runs, sort of at the time. But thanks an awful lot for your time and joining us here on uh, the Blood Red Podcast. And uh, I have to say, during this time, we're all locked up, really enjoying sort of the clips that you've been putting on on social media. They've been absolutely brilliant.
2: Absolutely, hundred percent. They're great. now.
0: We're enjoying doing it. Uh, I'm well aware that um, this is far from fun for an awful lot of people. And um, it's, uh, you've got to try to strike a balance. And, um, you know, I do want everybody to, to stay safe, do as, as they're told. It's, um, it's a difficult time for everybody for a million reasons. Liverpool fans have got a million and one reasons for finding this a particularly difficult time. It is uncertain as to what's going to happen for the remainder of the season. and, Although it seems a little trite, um, you know, when people are uh, fighting for their lives, it, as, as Jurgen Klopp always says, football is is the most important of the unimportant things. And um, it has been such a, a wonderful 18 months, two, two years for Liverpool fans. I've got a son who, in his mid-twenties, um, who's an ardent um, Liverpool fan. So, um, you know, I do... I, I do accept that, uh, that the situation isn't making this uh, any easier, but what you have got now, you, you guys in your twenties, you've got a team which your dad and your granddad have been boring you for years about everybody from Lidl through St John to Dalglish and you know and so on. You have now got a team which uh, is is producing moments like this one, like this quarter final night. Um, on a regular basis and uh, when we get back to playing football I mean the average age of this current Liverpool team is about 25 26 there's plenty more to come
1: I certainly hope that is the case and Dan just final words from yourself mate just on this game and, and moving forward and even on what Clive said there you're climbing the walls yourself mate waiting and hoping to obviously see this league title secured sooner rather than later
2: Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm not quite in my 20s. I'm in my early 40s. <clears throat> as mentioned earlier, I can remember very much enjoying Clive's prominences on Radio City in, in the 80s and early 90s. It's been a phenomenal couple of years for Liverpool, you know, and I think we all thought by this stage, late March, early April, we'd all be celebrating a league title triumph now. As it turns yeah. out, events have overtaken that. But um, I think, as, as Clive pointed out, we you know. Football, football, is it plays a huge role in all our lives. It's a, it's a wonderful release and escapism from the woes and the cares of, of our day to day lives. And it feels at the moment like it's, it's, it, it, like it's become even more important. Obviously, it has to be kept in perspective. And you know, I can only echo what Clive said and urge everybody to follow the guidelines that we've all been given to say, stay safe. And, and hopefully, we'll be able to get through this and come to the other side of it and resume resume life and resume football and hopefully have a better world at the end of it. Um, but but I, I, I think primarily um, the, the most important thing is, is that people stick together, look after each other. And whenever we can take the opportunity like this to reminisce and look back on, on great days of the past, it gives us a nice little release. And here's hoping we're having some great days to look forward to in the future as well.
1: Yes, certainly, certainly. So, Uh, Clive, thanks a lot for joining us. Really do appreciate your time.
0: Pleasure.
2: Stay safe, everybody. Cheers, Clive. Nice one.
1: Well, thank you also for you for tuning in here on the Blood Red podcast. The next trip on the road to Istanbul then, of course, does take us to Northern Italy to Turin as Liverpool headed there defending that 2-1 lead. Of course, they'd see it through and we'll look into that next time here on the road to Istanbul on the Blood Red channel. From me, Guy Clark and the rest of the guys, thanks a lot for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.